Welcome to 501c3BS. I'm your host, Sue Velasco, director of the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State Fullerton's Mihalo School of Business and Economics. Join me today as we debunk the myths of the social sector. We will cut down the weeds and clear your path for organizational growth. Welcome, everybody. My name is Zoot Velasco. I'm the director of the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofits at Cal State Fullerton's Mihalo College of Business and Economics. We, we did have a monthly series called the G3X Lectures Plan. That's an offshoot of our conference, the G3X Conference. And we had planned one for this week at the Anaheim Hive with our partners there. And because of the crisis, we've changed it now to this Zoom lecture that you're in. Uh, this is just fine. This Zoom workshop is co-sponsored and made possible by the Sam Welly Foundation, the Anaheim Hive, OC Grantmakers, and the Small Business Development Center. Uh, I'd like to start with a quote from Henry Ford that I think is appropriate to the situation. And regardless of what you think of Henry Ford, he did have some amazing quotes. And he said, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that a plane takes off against the wind and not with it. This seems to kind of go with the old adage that uh, the Chinese character for crisis is the same character for opportunity. And there is always opportunity and crisis for those who keep their heads. Today, we are going to talk about opportunities that exist in funding, but also Orange County people in our field who've made opportunities in crisis. Okay, on this Zoom meeting, we have Victoria Torres, Director of Community Impact for, the, uh, for Anaheim, uh, for the Sam Welly Foundation. We have Taryn Palumbo, uh, Executive Director of Orange County Grantmakers, and Craig Russum, Business Consultant for the Finance Center, uh, for the Orange County Inland Empire SBDC Network, hosted at California State University, Fullerton Mahalo College of Business, and my neighbor down the hall, actually. We, uh, his his uh, uh, counterpart, Mike Daniels, and I work next to each other. We're, we're neighbors at Mahalo School of Business. Um, I'm going to now put out a quick poll for you. And this poll is just kind of a, a way to take the temperature of the room, see where you all are, are at, and by by extension, taking the temperature of the county since you're a very good representation of Orange County. So you should see that poll right now and anytime during the course of this, uh, feel free to take that poll. So first up, we're going to hear from Craig. He is our OC expert on all things SBA, including the SBA Emergency Loans Program. So without further ado, please take it away, Craig. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Craig Russom from the SBDC uh, and the Finance Center. Uh, so at the Finance Center here in, in the Irvine location, we help uh, all of our clients when they start talking about debt financing for their company. And ultimately, because of COVID, uh, we got thrown into the forefront uh, of that process, uh, especially when we're looking at the SBA loan. So today, is we're going to dive right into uh, the two loans from the SBA uh, that have been most talked about, uh, the EIDL loan and also the PPP programs. Okay, hopefully you guys can see the screen. I'm on an SBA uh, website. So the, the SBA, uh, just making sure everybody's going to the, the correct spot. Uh, we're starting to see some, some spoof sites that are coming up, trying to collect information, grab information, uh, promise the world, promise you loans and everything. Please make sure that um, your clients or yourselves, businesses are going to the sba.gov website. And there, they've done a fabulous job 
uh, putting together the different programs that are available to, to you and, and an understanding of where then to go and how to apply. So from this information at the SBDC, we've put together uh, some FAQ slides in which I'll share. Uh, we have a whole resource box as well. I'll drop this link into uh, the chat. But here's uh, in the chat window, you see a Dropbox link that's going to give you access to you know, all of these pieces that we've uh, started to put together. There's some FAQs, there's some worksheets, um, some additional uh, forms that you can look at. So when you're trying to make a determination if either one of these loan programs um, are right for you and your business and, and that you can go through this and try and get most of your questions answered. So briefly, the idle or the economic injury disaster loan. This is the first slide that we'll talk about. This one is coming directly from the SBA. This is straight treasury funds. And you're going to apply directly from the SBA's uh, website. They have a URL. It's covid19relief.sba.gov. Put that in the chat as well. Again, it's the .sba.gov URL. Please make sure that uh, that you look for that because we have seen some copycat sites come up. You'll go directly to this window and it's very short. If you have the correct information, you know, ready to go, it's a 10 or 15 minute process. Keynotes for my group there that I'm talking to today, right, is that they've opened this up for nonprofits. You know, generally the SBA funding, um, it, it's, it's not available to you. you know, so there's, but now we have this option. If you look on the, the first page, we have this line item uh, for 501C, D or E. At this point, they, you know, we're still getting clarification on which uh, C's and, and other types of nonprofits that are going to be eligible for the form. They have they have it very open, you know, 501C. So depending upon how you're set up or what type of nonprofit organization, I would recommend that you apply and the SBA loan officer will then guide you through the process and make sure that, um, that you're truly eligible. So where I'm at right now, this is oh, most so you're on You're actually on the... I'm on the website. I I'm drive, driving directly through the, uh, the, SBD, or, uh, the SBA's website. These slides will be made available through the Dropbox. So this is where the information is coming from. So on the idle sheet, you know, what can this be used for? The idle is primarily used for your sales general and administrative costs that that shortfall because of loss of revenue. It is not meant to replace profits. Um, it is not meant for expanding your business. Your business needs to have been impacted in some way uh, by COVID in order to be eligible. But what it's really looking at is the next six months. Uh, what is that shortfall in, in your normal operating costs? That's what it's trying to replace. Uh, you do not um, ask for a specific loan amount. You actually work through the loan amount with a loan officer. They will then determine how, what amount that you're eligible for. The only numbers that you're going to need to know are your 12 months pre-COVID, which for the SBA, it's 131-2020. That's their, their line that they've drawn. So 131-20. They want to understand your your 12 months uh, pre-COVID gross revenue numbers and your cost of goods. Okay. So as long as you have that information, you should be able to fill out the, uh, the form that's on their uh, COVID-19 relief. It's up to $2 million. 
If you have more than one uh, organization, you can apply for each organization. It's a 30-year term at 3.75%. Payments can be deferred up to 12 months. The, what's nice about the idle is that one, you don't have to take the funds if you were approved. Secondly, you have up to a year to accept the funds. So you can kind of wait and see what's happening, um, gauge your need, and then start to withdraw the money from the idle. It works a little more like a line of credit in that it actually for the next 24 months, they allow you to uh, request additional funds without having to go through the process of reapplying and, and, and you know, bring up uh, additional documentation. So if you have an additional need that you can uh, prove, then there may be additional funds for you. Okay. Documentation we discussed. Uh, they do have a form five, which is in our um, is in the Dropbox as well. The online application mimics you know this form. So again, if you want to kind of get an idea of the questions that they're going to ask you, you can take a look, download the form five, which the form numbers are really small print here on the bottom. Craig, and, could, I, could I interrupt yes. you again? Um, a lot of people have been saying on podcasts and news and things that you can get these through your bank. Um, and then people in the nonprofit community have been asking if there are banks that are taking, um, that are doing these loans for non-customers. Can you so address the, that? Yes, of course. The idle is directly through the SBA only. The idle loan is not available at your bank. Okay. There's, there's no broker involved. There's no fees involved. But more importantly, this is straight treasury dollars directly from the SBA. The only way to apply for this particular loan, the EIDL loan, is through the covid19relief.sba.gov. So, so when people are talking about going to banks for low interest emergency loans, that's not this loan? That's a different loan? That is loan? correct. Different loan. Do you know what Where? that loan is they're talking about? Yes, there's a couple of them. One is the PPP, which we're going to get to. Okay, so we'll okay, talk great. about this. Mm -hmm. We'll talk, we'll dive more into the PPP because it's a different one. The PPP is, is focused on uh, primarily payroll and it's a very short-term loan where the idle loan, again, it allows you, uh, you know, over the next 24 months to, to have access to funds for operating expenses. Somebody has asked if there's a $15,000 limit to the idle loan. No. So what, what happened there is that in response to the just the enormous amount of, of applications that there were millions of applications, literally, they the SBA came out with a response to try and get some quick cash out there. And so you're starting to see some emails being sent where the the, the business owner can then choose this kind of one to fifteen thousand dollar quick cash option just to try and get some funds out because they know, you know, operating expenses, rent payments were due, you know, we're getting into the you know middle of April and there's been no relief yet to the businesses. So that it was a first round and then really small print in the bottom of that email, you see that it is not the actual loan amount that they're being approved for and that a loan officer will contact them here at some point uh, to then discuss additional funds that would be available to them. Okay. More importantly for folks also was this $10,000 advance that everyone was hearing about. It is up to $10,000. And this number was based on the number of employees that you had. So when you look at your average count over the last 12 months, your average number of employees, there's a question on the form that asks the number of employees that you have. This number then up to 10,000 was supposed to be uh, the number of employees that you are reporting. 
Uh, if you have 20 employees, you were still, it was just up to 10,000. This is the forgiveness part of the idol. So if there's any portion of this loan that's to be forgiven, it is this portion here. It's that quick cash that they were trying to get out that was in uh, relation to how many employees that you have. And as long as you spent that money on the employees, then you may be entitled to have it forgiven. Okay, there was no tax consequence on that forgiven portion. Um, those are a lot of questions that we get. Um, but this was a separate from that one to $15,000 cash advance too, in essence. So uh, two different pieces, the idle, again, most importantly, it's used more for operating expenses, insurance, mortgage interest, your rent, even accounts payable. This money can be used for all those options. It really general operating expenses is what this loan was to be used for. Many are referring to the idle loan advance of $10,000 as a grant. Right. That, that does not need to be paid back. Are nonprofits eligible to receive the $10,000 without applying for a larger loan? Can they just get the $10,000 grant that's, okay. that's forgivable? Okay. I have the group chat now open too, so, so I can take a look as well. Um, okay. So, yes, unfortunately, that term grant got thrown around. Um, it, is, it is up to $10,000, and it was based on the number of employees that you indicated on the application, and it is in advance uh, on the idle loan, it once you work with the loan officer and determine the actual loan amount, the loan amount would then be reduced by whatever you were advanced uh, in that first round of funding. It may be forgiven. The key being how that money was spent. So as long as you can prove that it was spent on on payroll items or it's in, it's intended to help with the employees is what it's for. Okay, it may be forgivable. Okay, so on the large, larger idle loans beyond 10000 so no, no other funds in the idle are forgiven. Okay, we'll talk more about the, the payroll protection program, and that is the loan that you're hearing mostly uh, where we're looking at our forgiveness portion. The idle, it's just this portion of up to 10000 that may be forgiven. If you're only applying for less than 10000 and you can prove that they're COVID-related employee expenses, <coughs> like, for example, keeping someone from getting laid off, Right. And that is most likely forgivable, but not yes. past 10,000 is what you're saying. That is correct. And then if they want to do more than that, they need to look at the PPP loan. If they're looking strictly payroll, yes, yes. Then it's PPP. Okay. So let's dive into PPP. Any other idle specific? We can go back to it. Uh, yes. So there's the question about the idle and the PPP and how they, how they work with each other. Uh, there was a question about independent contractors, not actual employees. They, they need to apply on their own. Independent contractors do not count towards your employee count. Okay? The employee count is going to be um, W-2. And then owners it, it most likely are then counted. There, there's some caveats there. But for this, for the application purpose, I would count the owners if they're not being w 2 as far as employee count. The PPP is a little trickier, but we'll, we'll drop jump into that. So just to be clear, independent contractors, so they opened up this loan to independent contractors. If you look on this, on who should apply, okay, applicant is an individual, operates under sole prop with or without employees or as an independent contractor. So if you're paying somebody as an independent contractor, please communicate with them that they should get on this site and apply on their own. Okay, PPP. Primary, the 
two, two biggest differences. One, the PPP is going to come from your, your lender directly here uh, locally. Mostly it's going to be your primary business bank that you work with. That's the first call. Find out if they're participating in the program uh, and you're going to work with them. The big reason being that they're looking for that relationship um, because there's accounting and some admin work here when we're diving deeper into the payroll numbers and then we get into the forgiveness portion of this. So they want to have uh, a working relationship there between the bank and uh, the business because this is uh, there's going to be some work to be done you know, through June 30th and how to, to work through the admin side. So if your bank does not participate, there are others that are looking outside of their portfolio of businesses. Just understand that those banks, more often than not, are looking then for a relationship. Some are requiring that you uh, sign up for a business account with them first prior to even filling out the PPP application. Some are going to want to take over your payroll, okay, because they want to be uh, involved in those numbers. So uh, there are lenders looking outside of their portfolio, but I would recommend that you work with your business bank first and find out if they're going to participate and go there. Okay, the other big difference between the PPP and the IDLE is that PPP is what it says, the Paycheck Protection Program. The idea being keeping uh, our employees out of unemployment through June 30th. So it's a very short term. Uh, it's an eight week loan, in essence, uh, where they want to see 75% of the loan being used for payroll and payroll purposes. Um, there is an additional, you know, the, the other 25% can be used towards uh, rent, utilities, um, interest payment on, on mortgage payments and some other items. But again, primarily, it's going to be keeping uh our employees out of unemployment. And so that's how that money should be used uh, up to $10 million loan amount. That portion that's not forgiven. It's at a two year note at 1%. <clears throat> the key there. And when I'm looking at this from a business consultation standpoint, <clears throat> I'm really, I'm going to do it a couple different ways. One, I'm going to look at it, what happens if none of this loan is forgiven. Okay, what does my cash flow look like? Okay. And then secondly, what if only a portion of it's forgiven right? what does it look like? Because it's a real decision you need to make. These are debt instruments. Um, they're SBA backed, you know, generally no personal guarantee. On the idle, there's uh, collateral that's required over $25,000 loan amounts, but it's not a, uh, a means in which they'll disqualify you, but they are going to start looking for collateral on the idle loan. The PPP, no collateral, no personal guarantee, but default does not equate to forgiveness. Um, where do you apply? Again, it's to your existing SBA lender, um, which should be your primary business bank. Uh, qualifications. Right now, the way it's written, it's a, a little tighter on the nonprofits. I believe it's just the 5013s. Uh, five, I'm sorry, 501c3s and the 19s are the only ones that qualify right now on the application. Someone had the question that if they're approved for the PPP loan, are they required to hire back any full-time employees immediately that were furloughed? Okay, uh, great question. So the requirement on the employees is that you don't have to hire back uh, the exact same employees. Some of your employees may choose to go on unemployment. That's a, a, real, you know, a real concern or a real fact. 
So the idea behind the PPP was that, uh, and I have in our Dropbox, we have this worksheet to kind of help you work through the, the, the numbers. Okay. So in the worksheet, it looks at how many employees that I had during that specific 12 month uh, pre-COVID time period. So two different time periods, I had an average of 41, I had an average of 38. I'm allowed to take the, the lesser of the two. Now through the loan period, which is eight weeks, and for most it's going to be May 1st to June 30th, that's the eight week window that the money's going to be spent. I only brought back 32 employees. Maybe, you know, not all the same. I I rehired people. I hired new people. Um, For whatever this number's coming from, I ultimately had 32 people on payroll. Well, it wasn't quite my number during that same period that I had reported. So there's going to be a reduction in the loan forgiveness portion. So this is why when I'm doing projections and I'm looking at this, I have to be really careful about the loan forgiveness component when I'm de- deciding if it's going to truly cash flow properly or what happens if you know, uh, you know more than half of my employees decide to stay on unemployment. What if I can't hire new people? Um, it, it's, it's a real situation that you can find yourself in where you're sitting on a PPP loan and you don't have employees to spend the money on. 25% of it can be used on, on other items, but just, just understand what they're looking for as far as the forgiveness portion. Uh, I have a question. For PPP, do seasonal employers, employees excuse me, who were scheduled to work at a later date factor into employee requirements? Yeah, so seasonal employment is really interesting in that uh, depending upon what your seasonal season looks like, like say it's in the fall. Um, can you prove that you've been adversely affected by COVID yet? Were there events that were planned then that have now been canceled? So, you know, if you can answer yes to those questions, then, then yes, you know, you've been affected by COVID. It makes it a little trickier when I'm trying to figure out how many employees I have. Um, but they do allow you to then just look at your seasonal uh, periods. So in that Dropbox, there's uh, a list of Q&A. It's about 16 different questions. And, and part of that is looking at the seasonality of, of the, the time period. It doesn't have to be 12 months average. You can look at your high point and divide that out uh, to see how many employees you have and understand what the employee payroll compensation looks like for that time period when you're at peak, if that makes sense. Another okay. question I got is that um, uh, one of our listeners uh, their bank is not accepting PPP applications right now. Mm-hmm. They're taking applications from every other type of client first, and right. they're concerned that they're going to run out of funding. Is there a resource available to search for banks that don't require you to be a, a client? Um, yeah, I mean that's that, that's been been the question a lot. You know, unfortunately, banks are already oversubscribed. Um, we're, we're really hoping for a second round because the money just didn't get to where it needs to go, quite honestly, is the way I feel about it. Do you so, find that this is this is where it really helps to have those bank relationships, like with your board members or with uh, oh my being, gosh, being yes. a member of chamber and those kinds of things where you can really um, leverage a, a one-on-one relationship? 100%. It really is. It's about those relationships, you know, to understand, you know, I mean, Wells Fargo was turned off for a while. They they had to shut down just about as quickly as they were open, they shut back down. And now, you know, yesterday they went back online. Uh, I haven't checked to see if they're back online yet today. 
but are still online because it's it's true. You know, the funds are are being um, allocated and it's going to be oversubscribed. Just, you know, understand what the PPP is. It's a very short term um, window in order to help with some payroll. Um, it should be used, you know, in conjunction with, with unemployment. You know, maybe you can't keep everybody on, uh, but it's all part of the conversation when you're looking at your organization, what's going to make most sense. You know, the, the purpose of the idle and the, and the PPP really, we're trying to keep enough businesses uh, intact and the infrastructure in place so that when we turn this economic engine back on, uh, people have places to go, you know, back to work. And um, PPP doesn't make sense for every business. Um, it, it's a process to kind of understand it and then understand how it may or may not work for your business. And I would look at it from cash flow and understand it is still a two-year note at uh, at one percent. And the the idle the what is that for nonprofits? It's actually at uh, two point seven five. So it's a little better interest rate amortized over thirty years on the idle. So this is a time if you have a relationship with Rotary or with a, a Chamber of Commerce or with um, somebody on your board with a banking person, this is where you really need to leverage those relationships. Yes, sir. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Craig? Uh, you know, I, I would take advantage of the idle. It is, it's, it's Fed money and it's direct from them. So I would recommend that you take the time should be 10, 15 minutes to at least get in line there to see what funds are available for general use funds. And then the PPP, yes, I, you know, it's, it's going to come down to some relationships. Uh, talk to your, your existing business bank and uh, see what they have available for you. Okay. And we're here for you. The SBDC is here for you, you know, to help you kind of walk through some of those items. And, um, you know, from through this, um, you know, the COVID situation and, and beyond. So I know we're going to be having programming uh, to, to help businesses once we're back up and running as well. Nancy has a question for you. How long do you think the idle will be available? So the, the idle is uh, nine months is their application process for the idle. They haven't given any real indication on the amount of funds that may be available. So whether they shut that off early but as it stands right now, it's a nine-month application process um, so that if you're affected by COVID come this fall, there may be an opportunity to apply. But I, I don't see any reason to wait. You, know, you can get in line now, go through the process, not take the funds. Um, and, and as this progresses, if there's, if there's a need, you can head back and, and request additional funds. So um, I really I don't see a reason to wait. Has anyone... Has anyone been approved yet for a PPP loan, to your knowledge? I have seen approvals. I have not seen fundings yet. So that's going to be the next step, uh, next hurdle for us is when we start actually seeing funding uh, numbers. But approvals, yes. Approvals are starting to come in. Um, no fundings yet, unfortunately. Same on the idle. Again, we're seeing approvals. Uh, we're seeing some of the up to $15,000 quick cash items. We have not heard of uh, fundings yet. Well, Craig, I want to let you know that everyone has been incredibly appreciative that you've come on and talked about this to our particular of course. community. So of course. thank let you me... so much for that. Everyone is applauding right now. It's just they're, they're <laughs> muted, but you have about 300 people applauding right now. I also want to let everyone listening know that um, Sarah, who is our partner at the Public Law Center of Orange County and will be doing the AB5 workshop with us next week, she is also working on these programs um, for organizations at the Public Law Center. Sarah is in charge of the nonprofit organizational element of the Public Law Center 
Okay. Hey, that Zoom, leads- this is Victoria. I yes. just want to share something really quick. Um, for those people that were asking about um, state funds or if you're receiving state funds and you're having difficulty getting through some of the applications because it's because of that, Cal Nonprofits right now is a, has a survey out that they would like to hear from people that are receiving state funds so that they can properly advocate um, for all of that. So I'll put that in the chat. Yeah, I, I also want to share with you all uh, the results of the survey that we took. You guys can pull it up if you look at your polls, but in case you're having trouble doing that, it looks like about a third of you are kind of overwhelmed with COVID-related things that you're having to do as support organizations for emergencies, and about a quarter of you have stopped most of your work and are just trying to keep afloat. Uh, about another quarter of you are working as normal. And um, and about 17% you're doing something else not listed here. So maybe if we have time at the end, we can find out what some of those things are. Uh, the next thing I'm going to do now is, is start part two of this program. Tara from OC Grantmakers is now going to tell us about the relief programs that they are putting together with our friends at the Orange County Community Foundation and what OC Grantmakers is doing to help with nonprofit organizations in Orange County. So take it away, Taryn. Great. Thank you so much, Zoot. Um, hi, everyone. It's nice to, um, well, hear from you, <laughs> see some of you. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to share. Um, yes, so the, so Orange County Grantmakers has partnered with um, the Orange County Community Foundation, Charitable Ventures, and St. Joseph's um, Community Health Partnership Fund to support the Orange County Community Resilience Fund. And I know that was just a mouthful. Um, the idea is to provide some immediate support to our nonprofit community, recognizing that those federal funds one, may not be accessible to everyone, and two, are taking some time to come through. Um, we actually launched this before we knew that the um, what the federal support was going to look like. So our kind of review process and everything else has been evolving as we've been responding to what the needs of the community are and um, what those uh, federal funds are looking like. So the fund is uh, currently at over $3 million, which is absolutely incredible. We couldn't do it without um, the support of our philanthropic community here. Um, the, the structure is basically three groups of dollars. So there is funding for emergency grants to nonprofits. That is your general operating support covering um, staff, covering, you know, whatever you need to keep the lights on. There are emergency grants to individuals. So we're finding that nonprofits are applying for that to then directly go and support individuals that they are serving. A lot of um, childcare providers or low income individuals that need immediate support. And then there's a, a third bucket of money available for community clinics. And that's really specifically to support those organizations that are providing health services to the community in this time of crisis. So we launched this fund about three weeks ago. As I said, we um, our original goal was $2 million. We are already over $3 million, which is incredible. We have rolled out the first round of funding so far. That was first round one was a million dollars. It went to 36 nonprofits. Um, the way we are structuring this is there is a grant review team. It's made up, um, supported by Charitable Ventures, made up by the Community Foundation, OC Grantmakers, St. Joseph's, and grants are being reviewed on um, basically 
basically emergency need. So that first round went to 36 organizations that were selected based on critical shortages and the community needs that they serve. So a lot of um, uh, food insecurity, housing insecurity, um, and uh, looking at organizations that um, provided that sort of immediate response support in light of the COVID crisis. All applications that were not selected for that first round were automatically pushed through to round two. So round two funding is going to be going going to be approved on April 13th. So just know absolutely nobody is getting turned down right now. These are grants that are being considered. Um, and right now it is open to all nonprofits who may need it. Um, we are already at 200 applications. So the way it's working is we're still looking at kind of emergency need. Um, we're also taking into consideration what does it look like in terms of uh, first round funding, second round funding, you know, what do you need for three months from now, six months from now, nine months and 12 months. Um, the grant amounts are being are differing based on the categories you apply for. And all of this is available online. All this information is available online at the OC Community Resilience Fund. So I can share that um, website in the chat box when I'm done. Um, but the the amounts um, each have their each bucket has its own kind of cap of amount. We're finding that most nonprofits are applying for the full amount possible, depending on what category they're applying for. Um, and again, the the applications are being reviewed for kind of immediate need. So that second round of funding is now opened up. Um, uh, again, we have about 200 applications that we're looking at. The, the same um, qualifications are being used as the first time, looking at what the immediate need is. Um, and we're asking nonprofits to think very critically about, you know, how does this work in terms of the other funds that are available, um, not just through um, our community fund, but possibly through other opportunities that are out there and the state and federal dollars that are available. Again, we recognize that dollars from the state and federal government are not immediately available. So please don't think that just because those dollars are now being said that they're out there, we're saying, ah, oh, you don't need any nonprofit or you don't need any general operating support. We That's not what's happening. Um, our goal is as long as there is funding available, we will continue granting. So again, our original amount of money was to, our goal was $2 million. We are already at 3 million. Um, we are not cutting that off. There is no cap. So as long as the philanthropic community continues to support this effort, we will continue to grant it. The idea right now is three separate $1 million grant rounds. Um, the second, of course, being on that April 13th, and then the third being towards the end of April. But if we are able to continue raising more dollars, then we will adjust and continue granting more. Um, so that's kind of the, the basic structure. Um, we are aligning our funding with the other opportunities that are out there, as I said. And what this means is that we are not trying to displace any dollars that might be going to a nonprofit because, say, somebody else is funding directly or another fund um, is um, coming into support. What we are trying to do and what OC Grantmakers is trying really hard to do is to take a holistic approach and look at how funding streams are supporting the nonprofit community during this time of crisis and making sure we are filling all gaps that may possibly come up. Um, so we are trying to step back and see not just where dollars are coming through, but where in-kind support is happening as well. Um, that means we're aligning with the United Way Pandemic Relief Fund, with in Anaheim, the Anaheim Community Foundation Fund, and with any other sources of money that we become aware of. 
um, this allows us to get a pretty good sense of um, where in the county dollars might not be flowing as easily, um, what needs and services are coming kind of rising to the top during this crisis as um, most have that have the most intense need, and then trying to fit our funding in to support the ecosystem of the nonprofit community as a whole. So um, I can definitely ans answer more questions about the process. Um, I'll share. Yes. Can you give us an example of some of the organizations that were funded in the first round and, you know, what kinds of things you were, what holes you were filling with that funding? Yeah, of course. Um, so first round were 36 um, uh, nonprofits. The, the round, the, um, Organizations that were funded first were a lot of housing insecurity and food insecurity, as well as um, healthcare services. So that makes sense. In the first kind of immediate need, we found that those organizations that are providing immediate relief in shortage areas were the ones that we were able to support. Also, access to emergency childcare. One of the big things we saw, of course, is that many daycares and other childcare services, including you know individual nannies, are not um, providing those services right now for good reason. Of safety. However, those individuals who work on the front line, our grocery store workers, our healthcare providers, our transportation leaders, they are working and they still need childcare. And so there was a huge gap in that space um, right away. So the emergency funds went to that kind of bucket of individuals first. Now that we're looking out a little bit farther, one of the um, one of the areas that we're looking at is how do we support those organizations that are providing services to sort of get everyone through it? And I see a question coming up is educational organizations. Exactly. That's sort of the type of thing that now we're looking at programs like um, boys and girls clubs that might be supporting students and those that are kind of providing those service entities as people have now figured out, okay, I have food, I have housing. Now, what do I need? That second round of funding. That's why we're doing this in stages to make sure that we're meeting all the needs as they develop rather than giving out all $3 million at once. Um, and this is something that the funder community is looking at kind of from a larger perspective, which is as we support the nonprofit community through all of this as best as we can with the dollars that are available, how can we ensure that people are surviving not just now, but you know, six months from now and a year from now, because we know those needs are going to change. The other interesting thing from all of this is we've been able to really kind of get a sense of the community needs um, from the nonprofit community. So I love that little quick survey that you just did, Zoot. Um, we're trying to um, we're trying to really get a sense of what this means for the longer term um, and how what we're hearing from the community can impact sort of the funders perspective in the long term so that funders can plan appropriately um, to support the community in their grants you know, obviously existing grants have already been done, but what does this look like for a year from now? Um, the nonprofits for the first round have been notified. The checks went out on uh, April 1st. So all those th those first 36 that were notified that received funds did already have their checks sent. Um, and then again, the next round of funding will be going out, um, will be approved on April 13th. And those that were supported have already been notified? They have been, yes. So those checks were mailed for the first round on April 1st. So you're going to do three rounds of funding that will, will take you through um, April and then the third round will go at the end of April. And then you're, you're considering maybe a fourth of the funding is there. 
Yeah, exactly. And again, this is a, I mean, our initial goal was $2 million and we were able to raise three in three weeks, basically. So um, it's incredible. And again, we're not, the, the OC Community Resilience Fund is not trying to keep any dollars for any other purpose. This is really to support the nonprofit community through the COVID pandemic. So as dollars come in, they will be granted out. Um, the only difference is we are trying to move from that like emergency, how do we help to keep our organization's doors open to, okay, how do we help you thrive and continue to be successful and run programs um, as you evolve your programs as well? Um, one of the big conversations I know that nonprofits have been having and we've been having with the nonprofit community, or I should say the funders have been having with the nonprofit community is how do you shift your programming or shift your focus in light of where we are right now. So, you know, if you are serving individuals in schools or your program is entirely based on person-to-person interaction, we want to make sure that you can shift in a productive way to serve your clientele in a different way. Um, And so that also means, you know, responding to how you're working with your grantee, your grantor, um, what that relationship is like, and then what are your needs based on whatever that shift is. Um, So the goal is that, you know, over this month, that conversation and those immediate needs will shift from, I need to put food out, um, I need housing, to, okay, in light of all of this, how do I keep my program going and how do I keep supporting the community that I live and work in? I'm, I'm getting a lot of people saying that this is wonderful and amazing. I'm, I'm sure everyone is applauding you right now uh, for the work you all are doing. Let me um, clarify something. So all the funding that's going into this is new funding that's been put together just for COVID. This is not going to take away any funding from any existing programs. Absolutely not. And so what our funders, a lot of the funders, what they're doing is existing grants are I can't say always, of course, I'm speaking on behalf of the members, but most of the funders existing grants are staying. A lot of them have shifted existing grants to be unrestricted to be able to support general operating. The the money that came into the OC Community Resilience Fund are additional dollars from the funder community um, meant to support our Orange County nonprofits during this time of the pandemic. So um, the relation we're encouraging the nonprofits who receive grants directly from a funder already to have a conversation if you haven't already with your funder about those existing dollars to see, you know, confirm everything's good, which I'm almost positive it is, and then see how you can work with those dollars if you haven't already had that conversation to support your work. Whatever your relationship is with a funder, it does not preclude you from applying to this fund as well. This is a completely separate thing. So just to kind of uh, pick up on what you just said. So if you're an organization who had programs planned that had to be canceled, say an arts organization that had a bunch of programs planned that had to be canceled because of COVID. And of course, you're losing money on that because there's contracts made and all that. You could go to your funders and say, can you switch this to unrestricted? And most funders are doing that now. Yeah, we're definitely encouraging you to have that conversation. Many funders, if they are able, are trying to unrestrict funds and allowing them to be general operating. Now, there are some that just because of the structure of their organization may not be able to do that. But that's why we encourage, you know, this is the time to have a conversation with your funder and not be afraid to be honest about where you are and what your challenges are. Um, Again, that's a completely separate 
thing though from the OC Community Resilience Fund, which is a pot of money we've pulled together, the funder community is com- com- um, uh, committed to, that is just for this kind of emergency support in light of the pandemic. And again, this is, I mean, it's supported by the Community Foundation and Charitable Ventures. They're really supporting all the admin work. St. Joseph's Community Health Partnership Fund is supporting the administrative work. And then members of OC Grantmakers, along with many other funders in the community, have put the dollars in to get to that glorious $3 million mark so far. Well, thank you for all the funders that have kind of stepped forward and helping everyone in their time of need. You know, it's hard to be organizations on the front line and you really need the funder partners to make that happen. And you're doing that. So thank you for that. Everybody's applauding right now. They're just muted. I know they are. Um, So uh, a big hand for Taryn. And we're going to move on now to Victoria. So Victoria, if you can unmute your mic and put your screen up. Um, She is my partner in crime. And we'll tell you some uplifting stories on how people are getting through this as organizations from the Facebook group that she started. I want to relay uh, a couple of quick stories from OCCF, and this will just take a minute. Um, Orange County Community Foundation, who we partner with, uh, and uh, we had their Innovations Fund winners as speakers in our conference last August with the G3X conference. One of them was Mariposa Counseling, and they won an innovation award for doing online counseling, which is something that they incorporated earlier this year, and once COVID started, they went 100% online. And because of that grant, they were able to do that seamlessly and get set up. And now they're doing all of their counseling without much of a hiccup online because they were able to get that grant and get it set up before the crisis. TIA, another organization that won an innovation award, they started a food truck catering business with refugee chefs. They work with um, refugees from war-torn countries that are placed here in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And they had some chefs that are doing social enterprise and the money that's raised from the food that they sell goes to their refugee programs. Well, because they got that grant and they started this program, they were able to start freezing meals and delivering them to seniors. So that's pretty cool that they were able to kind of shift gears and and, uh, provide meals for seniors through the crisis. My successor at the Muckenthaler Cultural Center for Farrell Hirsch, um, it's a center I used to run, had to cancel his entire season and close his gallery. So instead, he developed 50 art kits that were given out to parents in a drive-through, and it was just some art supplies they had around. But by the week's end, they had a request for 500 art kits, and funders came forward and they were able to provide them, and they're still providing them. They're they're in the thousands now. And they're also developing them for seniors too. They opened their gallery to the Rotary Club and turned it into an assembly line for making masks for St. Jude's Hospital. Um, And Farrell's put together some funny weekly videos to keep the muck on people's minds. So he's found a way to stay relevant and fundable, which is very difficult for a uh, arts organization that had to pretty much cancel everything. So those are three really great good news stories that I wanted to share with you. And now I'm going to turn it over to Victoria. Victoria, the floor is all yours. Thanks, Sue. Well, thank you for asking me to come and speak and just share some of the things that I've been uh, hearing and curating. Um, As you shared, I started a Facebook group, um, I think day two of our stay at home order. And um, it really started because I selfishly needed to stay connected to people. Um, and I just uh, meeting people and, and um, hearing about the amazing things that go on in our community is uh, 
is just uh, uplifting to me. Um, so some of the stories that I'm going to share with you, I'm kind of lumping them into um, not just stories of goodness because um, you know they're amazing for the community, but I also think they're great stories so that all of you on that are listening in in nonprofit can really think about how you can take this opportunity to not just um, it's not just about serving clients, but also um, how you're engaging with people you probably never would have engaged with, um, especially if you work with the schools, uh, your staff, and then um, just thinking out of the box um, in terms of what what do we need to do in order to keep our, our, our doors open and our program alive. So the first one, and, and a lot of these came from the group, and also I've done Facebook Lives with uh, some of them, and um, you can see the full conversation there or on YouTube. I actually also started a YouTube. So the first one that I thought was amazing is virtual fundraising success. So I know everybody is, uh, a lot of people who have been curious about what, what do we do with our event. Um, some people had to quickly either cancel or postpone. And then some people are in the midst of figuring out um, what to do. So some people have more time. Um, this particular organization did not. They put together in two weeks, they transitioned their um, uh, in-person breakfast to a virtual online giving day and actually exceeded their goal. So that's uh, Habitat for Humanity. They had their um, Building Dreams breakfast that was supposed to happen in late March, and they were this close to actually canceling. And if you um, go and watch the full video, uh, you'll hear Chris talk about how they, it was actually, you know, the board that had, had, um, uh, had thought that, you know, we need, in light of everything happening, we just need to cancel. We need to figure out what to do. And it was actually a staff member. One of his staff members came to him and said, well, what if we just turned it on to a giving day and we have the video, we have, um, we already have the financial support because they were, you know, far in advance. We could go back to our funders. We could tell them this is what we're doing instead. And, you know, I think we can make it happen. So I just thought it was a, a beyond the fact that they raised more money than they um, had expected. It really was a, a testimony to, you know, giving staff freedom from, you know, a leadership staff, giving staff freedom to, well, asking staff, like, what should we do? And staff coming up and saying, yeah, I think we can do this. And here's what I think it could look like. So they still have their page up. Um, and in the, in the uh, Facebook group, I have links to everything. Um, but they exceeded their goal. I think their goal was 200 to 250,000 and they reached 300,000. The other one is um, Pure Game. So Pure Game, they are uh, actually a partner of the Hive. So for those of you that don't know what I did pre-COVID, I manage a, um, through the Samuel A. Foundation, I manage a um, uh, shared space in Anaheim. And part of the shared space is private office and drop-in space. And Pure Game is one of the organizations that I've um, gotten to know uh, over the last couple years and work very closely with them and coaching them. Uh, Tony, the founder and executive director over there, he, we also had a, a Facebook live conversation. He literally, this was his story that he shared. He said the first week that all this happened, he said, um, you know what, everyone just take the week and just, just relax. Just, you know, think about things. Don't worry about work. Don't worry about anything. And will reconvene like literally in a week. Um, he said that Monday when, you know, everyone had to stay home and we closed the hive as well. So they couldn't even go to the office. 
he said, we'll have our team meeting next Monday and we'll reconvene. So he really needed that week for him to, to decompress and figure out what was going on. Um, but he made sure that he did one thing and that was email everyone saying, don't worry, everyone's still going to get paid. Um, so he kind of put that peace of mind in their, um, in their minds and then said, um, next Monday, just, you know, I want you guys to think about how can we still serve the schools? So they serve the schools. They provide a soccer program um, during the, uh, the PE time of the day. That following Monday, they had their team meeting and everyone came to the table and everyone had an idea about how they could transition their program from what was normally in person to an online, what they call remote recess program. And so if you follow um, all of their um, uh, uh, Instagram and Facebook, and now they have a YouTube channel, um, you will find their remote recess program. And what was awesome about that is, you know, he called the um, uh, principals. He made, that was another thing he did that first week. He called all the principals and said, um, here's what we're doing for you. And this is very important. I think this was a, a very important point he made when we were talking. Right now, schools are so overwhelmed, um, obviously, with everything that the teachers have to do, that they don't really have time to brainstorm and think through how nonprofits can help them. They really want the opposite. Um, they want you coming to them with the solution. So that's what Tony did. He said, here's what we're working on. Um, and he called it the remote recess program, just in conversation and it stuck and they loved it. Everybody loved, um, the, the principals loved it. They were very uh, excited and eager to share anything that they come up with. So if you go to any of their links, you'll start to see their staff. So this goes back to staff engagement, their staff really stepping up and um, moving forward and uh, creating these videos, um, getting FaceTime with not just the kids, but also parents. So I think the other um, thing to learn from, from these stories of nonprofits transitioning online, especially the ones in the schools, is you now have the opportunity to get FaceTime with parents, whereas before you didn't. You, you know, parents dropped off their kid, they went to school, and they didn't know all the nonprofits that are actually also contracted and working in the schools. So now you have this opportunity, they have this opportunity to, um, you know, engage with the, the child, but then the child can say, look, mom, look, dad, you know, that's the guy I was telling you about, you know, at, at recess every day, you know, that's my coach or my field champion, or that's the lady that does the health class, or, you know, this is the lady who helps us create the STEM robots, whatever that may be. You have an opportunity to, to reach out or to gain the, um, um, the attraction of a whole new individual that may not have known that you existed prior. Um, and I think as we prepare for this um, Global Giving Day on May 5th that uh, Giving Tuesday just put out, uh, this expands our network. This expands nonprofits networks to, um, to ask, right? Um, this is where Facebook, this is where it's time to get more likes, more follows, um, more people engaged with us because you have a whole new audience that you're attracting, which is the, the parents. The other one is Kid Healthy. And um, they provide um, um, nutrition, a, a parent program and nutrition in the schools. Um, and they create this uh, recipe book every year through their Cooking Up Change program. So what they're doing is they're going back to those recipe books and they're pulling out nutritional or they're pulling out recipes and their staff and, and um, kids 
that they engage with, they are um, taking videos of them actually doing the recipes and sharing it. And then this is really important. I think this is um, uh, really important, the thing that they're doing, they're tagging the school that that recipe came from. So it's really, really leveraging, um, leveraging the things that you've already done in the past because they're already there, uh, bringing them into this virtual space, engaging your staff to do something new and different and leveraging their network and then, you know, in social media, it's all about algorithms, tagging your partners, tagging your schools, hashtagging, um, really leveraging this virtual world. Um, and that's a lot of the story that I've seen is how nonprofits, as we're being forced into this space, um, those who really, really, really grab onto it, you don't even have to be good at it. This isn't about being good at anything. Um, this is about just leaning in, right? Leaning into what's happening and rising from all the chaos because I truly think that out of this, um, the importance is staying relevant. And I'm telling you, you know, these organizations are definitely finding ways uh, to stay relevant. So those are three. Victoria, this is Taryn. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to share really quickly with everyone that um, we are putting together a feel good e-newsletter that highlights exactly some of these stories. So we've been working with um, 1OC who also put out a call. I know they're sharing some of their stories with um, the OC Register and the OC Business Journal, um, but obviously not all of those can be featured. So we are trying to pull as many as we can and putting them into a feel good e-newsletter. Um, the first one will go out today or tomorrow. Um, if you want to be a part of that and receive it, um, you can go to the OCG website and scroll to the very bottom and just sign up for our e-newsletter. That's the listserv that'll go out to. Um, obviously, the first one has new stories that I've been able to pull, but um, moving forward, we're going to try to do it once a week to just feature the fact that, you know, the community is coming together in an extraordinary way and people are responding in an extraordinary way. Um, so stay tuned for that. And um, if you want to share stories, you can send them to me or post them in the Facebook group or send them to 1OC. Um, and I will try and compile as many as I can fit um, and as many as sort of fit um, within the framework of how we're responding to COVID um, in that e-newsletter that'll go out once a week. Can I chime in on that a little bit? You said something really important about sharing your positive stories. And I think it, it's within some organizations' DNA to, to you know, be able to complain uh, when they need money um, to to get money, and and um, complaining in this I don't think is going to help too many people because everybody's having problems. Yes. But when you can share what you're doing that's positive, that's what makes funders want to yes. be part of you because they. Funders always want to be part of something that's successful. They don't want to be part of a sinking ship. Nobody oh, yeah. wants to invest in the Titanic. So, right. um, and know, this I, is a great way to remain engaged with your funders. And um, you definitely need to pull your board members in more. So all the stories that I shared are stories of, you know, executive directors and, and leaders engaging staff in a different way. But this is also an opportunity for you to engage your board in a different way and funders and stakeholders. So, when you put that video out there, when you put that feel good out there in the um, in the social media world, send it to your board members and say, hey, all I'm asking for is for you to like and share. Talk about 
this organization that you're a board member on. And with funders and other stakeholders, send that to them and say, hey, we're still working, you know, we're, we're still moving forward, we're still doing things, because you, who knows, maybe they will like it and they will share it as well. If you're accustomed to doing something one way, I would just pause and ask yourself, okay, this is the normal way I would do it. What should I consider doing in addition, just to test it out? The muck and faller was a great, uh, kind of a great model of this, where the, mm -hmm. I talked to Farrell a week after, and he had to cancel his whole season. There's money he couldn't get back. There are artists that are now out of work. I mean, he was devastated. And then he started that arts project to give out arts kits to kids in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And it just took off and funders got behind him. And mm -hmm. now he's got a different mission, at least through the crisis. And it's really turned lemons into lemonade, made something amazing out of it. So I think. I yeah, think well, great. well, and they're actually one of our grantees through the Anaheim Community Impact Grant. So I talked with Stephanie and we had a conversation about that. And they're actually going to now create those kits to send out to seniors because right. that was the whole part of uh, the grant that we gave them for Anaheim is to engage with seniors at the local community center. Well, and then to repurpose their gallery to make masks for St. Jude's Hospital uh, in partnership with Rotary, put them in touch with a lot of their funders that fund them through Rotary and through businesses yeah. um, that became volunteers for them to do that. Mm -hmm. And again, it kept them fresh on everyone's mind and found a yeah. way to help during the crisis. Right. So I, I think all of these are really great models. Thank you so much for sharing, Victoria. And you're welcome. And I think uh, I think that covers everything that I wanted to cover. I just want to thank all of my contributors here for this podcast. Uh, Victoria, Craig, and Taryn, and um, all the people who kind of helped make this possible, the Sam Welly Foundation, OC Grant Makers, and uh, the Small Business Development Center at Mahalo. And of course, I'm the Gianneschi Center. Oh, I'm seeing a lot of chats of thank yous, I think. Yes. And, and everyone's giving everyone a, a high five. Thank you for listening to 501c3BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth. I'm your host, Zufalasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First Hundred Days on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choral group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS. Thank you.